wife. See Gin joints in all the towns in all the world. She walks into mine. Didn't do it. Why not? The whole thing's been wrong from the beginning. I feel dirty. Is there anything I can do? Please, Dix, can't you relax for a second? My name is Nep, Walter Nep. I was thinking about that dame upstairs and the way she had looked at me. He's looking at you, kid. Here's today. This would have meant so much to us. Now it doesn't matter. What can I tell you, kid? You're right. You're right, you're right. Welcome to the Speakeasy Noir Cast, a podcast discussing film noirs of yesterday and neo noirs of today. Each week, we're going to deliver a discussion of our analysis of classic noir films, and occasionally we'll interview up and coming directors and writers of new neo noir films, all mixed in with our unintelligible banter. Your hosts for the show, Jason D. Morris and Carly Street. piano what do you think i mean i couldn't really hear it because you were going (laughs) 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 jerk (laughs) (laughs) i'm not quite sure what you were imitating (laughs) (laughs) well it's the ear of the beholder i guess (laughs) so i heard you uh had a pretty amazing uh weekend or week uh how long were you guys three. gone it was your it was your anniversary right yeah three days yeah. three days of glorious london yep so it was and you guys yep. have been married now for 48 years and it feels like it i think street <laughs> would tell you that yeah he's actually 13 but 13 mm-hmm. that's pretty good wow it's a long time right yeah. I think I think we're going on um eighteen. Oh wow. I gotta I gotta do the math now. Let's see, wait, I could be wrong. Let's see. You really need to know. <laughs> <laughs> Pulling out the calculator. Twenty two minus oh wait. Minus one, two, minus three. Maybe no, minus four. Yeah, eighteen years. Damn. It's crazy. How heck? Time flies when you're getting old. <laughs> yep. Right? So tell me all about it, because I know how much you hate London, right? Did it rain the whole time? It rained on the first day. And then it was in between on the second day. And then it was like a tropical oasis on the last day. Oh, right the day you guys are going to leave. That sucks. Well, I mean, that's good, though, because at least you no, got no. like good... No? no, 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 the full day, because we left at like... Nine o'clock on the Monday morning. Oh. So it didn't really count because we both got up late. Nice. So it was like an episode of 24 trying to get out of the hotel. <laughs> because we did not want to be charged for another day. Right. <laughs> like checkout time out there. Like what? what is checkout time? Like for here, they want you out as soon as possible. So it's like, it seems like every year it gets earlier and earlier in the day. Like I remember checkout time used to be like, I don't know, two, three o'clock in the afternoon. And then it became like, you know, one o'clock, 12 o'clock. I think it we're up to like now 11 in the morning is checkout time. Yeah. 10 o'clock in the morning is checkout. Oh, so crazy. You know? Um, so did you guys, um, did you drive there? Did you, cause you're not no. that far away, but did you, you float or you take no, the train? We went or? on the train. Train. Cool. Okay. Yeah. We went on the train. So how was but that? No murders. Nothing, right? 
Huh? <laughs> so there was no murders on the train, right? Like everything was no. smoothly? It was not the Orient Express, unfortunately. <laughs> right. Although we did get laughed at for having cans of beer in first class. <laughs> now, hey, did you guys bring them or did they serve them to you? Um, we brought them. <laughs> we were on the, like, the three hour and a half train. It doesn't even like, it, it goes to every station there is and there's no like canteen cart. Oh, there's really? Nothing. No. There's nothing. That's crazy. Okay. First class and they don't serve anything, huh? No, um, but we did get a phone charger socket. So <laughs> Nice. And it worked. Yeah. It did. Well, partially. <laughs> I knew it. Every time you get something like a little bonus perk, like a charger, you know, outlet or something, like it doesn't work. And it's like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Like, like one of two worked. So Nice. Okay. Well, great. Congratulations. I'm glad you guys had, had a good time. I saw your pictures you were posting. If any of the uh, Carly fan stalkers are out there, I'm sure, you know, they've all downloaded them and put them up on the dark web now. <laughs> or a dartboard. Or a dartboard. <laughs> or a dartboard. At least, at least my pictures won't be of me dressed in black like I'm going to a funeral because I actually was forced to wear something other than black. Nice. Good. That's a good thing. Yeah. It was quite funny though, because we went to, to go to Buckingham Palace. Oh yeah? Just to take a picture outside, because I've been uh, telling Street for years that I'm going to make him post a picture outside Buckingham Palace. Couldn't do it because we went down there and there was loads, there was loads of like railings up and there was armed police everywhere. Now, like in the UK, you don't see armed police. You never see them. Wow. There's so not the dudes that are just... Them. So they didn't just have like the dudes that are standing there with those big ass tall hats that can't move? No, they weren't there because armed police were there instead. And there was loads of people queuing up and we were thinking, what the hell are they queuing up for? What's was the queen there? Here? Like, what's up? No, she wasn't even there. So we're like, what are, they, what are these weirdos queuing up for? What is going on? So we carried on walking and we thought, well, we'll ask somebody that doesn't, we'll ask a policeman that doesn't have a gun. They're trying well, to get Megan. They're, they're trying to keep Megan Markle out. I <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> so like, we kept walking, and then eventually, this this jogger that was just wanted to jog, who was obviously clearly pissed off with the amount of people that were queuing in his way, walks over and asks one of the police officers. So we think we'll hover around, see what the answer is. And he went, "What are all these people queuing up for?" And the police officer went, "I've got no fucking idea. We're only doing the test run for the jubilee. The best they're gonna see is a horse." <laughs> and honest to God, there was literally about a mile's worth of people with bum bags, right, and flags, and the bloody phones out waiting as if the Queen's going to walk down the street and wave at them. And even the police <laughs> didn't know where to put the faces. That's so funny. <laughs> so it's literally because we joked when we first went down there. It was, oh, it looks like one person started queuing and everybody's joined in. Genuinely, I think that's what happened. <laughs> probably and that first probably person probably wasn't out. even yeah he probably wasn't even like standing there like thinking they were in line they were probably just taking a picture and then somebody stands behind him and was like oh I better not move <laughs> yeah That's and crazy. then suddenly there's hordes of people on either side right it's <laughs> uh, so funny yeah wow you know, it's funny that you brought that up that you guys went, went there because uh, the new episode of uh, haunted objects that we have coming out is all about the crown jewels. Ooh, Jubilee special. Woohoo! Yeah, right? So, all you folks at home, 
if you haven't checked out Haunted Objects yet, you should, uh, you know, look it up on uh, YouTube. Um, you can find it on the Paranormal Network. Um, and the show is called Haunted Objects. I think we're on our seventh episode now. Um, and it's going to feature some uh, haunted uh, jewels that uh, are actually on the... What is the name of the crown? I can't remember the name of it. Imperial crown or something like that? I can't think of it. I don't know. I think I got confused myself as well during research. It's probably even the wrong thing. <laughs> Just um, disclaimer there. Right. <laughs> we make the shit. We don't know what we're talking about, though. <laughs> Just like this podcast. <laughs> Very much like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Well, we're going to get into tonight's drink. And uh, I'm I'm really excited about tonight's drink, actually. Um, I don't know if Carly will be, um, but uh, the drink for tonight is called Love and Murder. And I think it pairs perfectly with the film. Um, and the ingredients for this drink is one ounce of green chartreuse, um, which is a pale green or yellow liqueur made from brandy. Um, one ounce of Campari, um, one ounce of lime juice, one ounce of simple syrup and five drops or so of water. It's basically a five to one ratio of water and salt. Um, I, it, there's nothing on the ingredient list about um, adding salt. So I don't know if you can just buy saline, which is, you know, water and salt or how that really works. Just um, pop I've to an ER and it. get some. Yeah, I, I guess I would just probably put, you know, a few drops of water in and shake some, uh, shake a salt shaker over it or something. Um, but um, to make the drink, basically, you mix all the ingredients into your cocktail shaker uh, filled with ice. Um, shake it for 12 to 15 seconds or until the ice sounds different. Uh, you double strain into a coupe glass, which I have no idea why you would double strain it. Uh, maybe it creates a lot of bubbles or something. I don't really know. I mean, there's nothing in it, like no, I don't know, debris or fruit or I don't know why. Anyway, maybe so it's, it's double just strain for it. aesthetic appearances so you look like Tom Cruise from Cocktail. It could be. I mean, you know, there is no instructions on here about flipping bottles behind your back, but if you can manage it, by all means, do it. Um, so you strain well, that into a glass. spare the glass to break it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Have your cleanup supplies on, you know, standby. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and I've never, um, besides... Uh, you know, I think maybe one drink. Um, I've never had green uh, chartreuse. Uh, I don't know if you have. You're probably going to be like, I don't even know what the hell it is. I was just um, going to say those exact words. Yeah. It's it's just a brandy liquor. You know, it's got like a flavor to it. It's got some herbs and, you know, different things to it. So is it um, like brandy with basil in it? Probably something like that, yeah. I'm not 100% oh. sure on what the actual herbs are that are in it. Um, but, um, and I'm, I'm assuming they probably cut it with the, you know, it's probably not as strong as regular brandy or anything like that, but so there's probably some water, maybe some sugar or something like that. But, uh, yeah, it could be. I could make my own. I've got a herb garden. Yeah, you probably could. Yeah. Um, if you subbed the brandy for Jen, you know, that's probably what you would do, right? Cause maybe. Yeah. <laughs> It's easier to see the uh, distillation process, isn't it, with the herbs because it's clear. So right. Hey, yeah. by the way, since we're talking about drinks and gin, um, I went and saw, and I know you hate this show, 
but I went and saw the new Downton Abbey movie with Sean. Ugh. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> it's so much better than the last one. Um, I thought it was great. Um, so does she. And they had at the theater, they had like a, they always do. They have like a bar at the theater, but it's a really shitty bar. Um, it's only open like, you know, half the time, probably less. <laughs> but for any like bigger movies, they have like a, a specialty drink that they put together and advertise and for the downtown abbey they had one and it was a gin drink so i thought that you might actually enjoy that um i Ooh, don't know yeah. what was in it but you know that was the main ingredient for it and that made sense because you're british and they're british and i guess you guys just all love gin over there which is odd because it tastes terrible <laughs> so i would have said can i not watch the film and just have more gin yeah i you know i, I don't i still don't understand your hate for it um, it's so good. It's such a great show. Um, I thought it's the movie because was everybody really good. in America thinks that that's what the UK is like now. <laughs> so, well, Hamish Castle. I mean, I don't live in one of those. I lived in a terrace house, but you know, okay. Uh, do the, do those like houses still exist? Are they around? Have they been all been demolished? Are they turned yeah, into like the, nurseries? The biggest estates and museums. We don't live in them. Oh my God! Do you know the Queen? Obviously. <laughs> Obviously, I do. She knows every member of her, you know, every subject she has by name. She wanders around frequently. The folks at home, as you can tell, Carly is extremely passionate about not knowing the Queen. So don't ever ask. <laughs> please, please don't ask me. That's always the first thing. You've even been on phone calls with me when people have done it. <laughs> so how far away from the Queen are you? I mean, fucking a lot. Oh, she's right here. So, you want to talk to her? <laughs> so do you do you know her? But let me whip me ten pound note out so we can have her face to face with a you know a face <laughs> on the money. Just because her face is on the money in my pocket doesn't mean I know who she is. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not got her on speed dial. <laughs> but we don't know that. Yeah, I'm I sure. Do. I'm sure you do. <laughs> do you have a maid like Downton Abbey? No. <laughs> You're like, I am the maid. <laughs> I am. I'm in, I'm in the gut. I'm, I'm down below. <laughs> Not allowed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought it was good, though. Um, all right. So, uh, folks at home, uh, why don't you join us with your love and murder and check out the trailer for tonight's film, which also involves love and murder. Selznick and Alfred Hitchcock bring you the Grand Slam Prize winner that made motion picture history. Winner of the Academy Award, voted by America's critics as the best picture of the year. And now, as a result of a national poll, winning new honors as audiences throughout the country vote to see it again. The Selznick Studios' successor to Gone with the Wind, Rebecca, brought to the screen with all the warmth and emotion that made millions of readers acclaim Daphne du Maurier's bestseller as the most exciting love story of our time. Fascinating Max de Winter lives on the screen in the person of Laurence Olivier. Why, it's Max de Winter. How do you do? The shy, unsophisticated young girl who dared to follow in the footsteps of the beautiful Rebecca is portrayed by lovely Joan Fontaine. How could I 
ask you to love me when I knew you loved Rebecca still. Whenever you touched me, I, I knew you were comparing me with Rebecca. What is the mystery of Rebecca? What dread secret is hidden within the silent walls of Manderley? Not only in this room. It's in all the rooms in the house. I can almost hear it now. Do you think the dead come back and watch the living? Is Mrs. Van Hopper a friend of yours or just a relation? No, she's my employer. I'm what is known as a paid companion. No, I didn't know companionship could be bought. There is mystery, love, and laughter in Rebecca, the motion picture still unsurpassed for suspenseful romance. Alright guys, that was the trailer for the 1940 film Rebecca. And this is classified as an American romantic psychological thriller. Um, which makes sense. Um, I still think it has a lot of film noir elements to it, so maybe you guys do too at home. Um, I probably would be chastised by, you know, film buffs or noir buffs, but who cares? Uh, we're watching it anyways. Um, and this film was directed by Alfred Hitchcock, and it was Hitchcock's first American project, which I think previously in another podcast I I said another film was, and I was incorrect, and I can't remember which movie that was. But this is actually uh, Hitchcock's first American project, and I believe that was sort of his um, uh, starting point with Selznick, who he did a couple films with. And I, from what I can understand, you know, regularly clashed um, with this man, um, and that's no different with this project. Um, the screenplay is by Robert E. Sherwood and Joanne Harrison. And it was adapted by Philip McDonald and Michael Hogan. Uh, and it was based on the 1938 novel of the same name, Rebecca, by Daphne du Maurier. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, and I'm not really sure what the correlation between adapting a book and then a screenplay. I would think that the adaption would have been the screenplay, but maybe they, I don't know how that works. It, it seems a little bit odd to me but um however that is i wish somebody could explain it to me because i don't know i figured the adaption would be the screenplay anyway i digress uh the film stars lawrence oliver joanne <clears throat> excuse me joanne fontaine judith anderson george sanders and gladys cooper in supporting roles and before i get ahead of myself as i regularly do on this podcast as i'm sure you uh, you know, you know, um, we need to hear from Carly about her in a nutshell synopsis. And now it's time for Carly's super famous in a nutshell synopsis. I think it's funny. Thank sometimes you. I, uh, I cut you off. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think it's funny sometimes when I hit the uh, in a nutshell synopsis button on our little uh, streaming service thing that it sometimes plays back in slow motion like it did today. And it's like Carly's in a nutshell synopsis. And it's like That's super cool. Epic. I prefer that more. <laughs> All right. Anyways, now that I've stolen your limelight, let's put you back in it. 
Let's hear that synopsis. Okay, well, it's quite short. When you hire your housekeeper from a Craigslist ad. (laughs) Yeah, shit gets caught on fire when that happens, right? Yep, yep. (laughs) Accidents happen and someone's always around. Yeah, and you know, did you notice that she was in uh, Laura? Do you remember discussing Laura? She looked familiar, but I just could not place her. Yeah. Well, knowing you, you probably could place her from Star Trek. She was in Star Trek 3. I couldn't uh, get over how much like the Grim Reaper she looked when she was <laughs> scooting around everywhere in that black dress. I was like, she just need a fucking Yeah, <laughs> You are not wrong. Yeah. I mean, she was great in this film. Personally, I thought she was very scary. She scared me and I'm just watching a hundred year old movie. She's <laughs> <laughs> great though. Um, so, you know, I, this movie is very much revered. Like people love this film. It's, um, when it first came out, it did well critically and commercially. Um, it, I think it was made for like, um, a million and a quarter and it did like 6 million at the box office, which is great. And then it was, um, re-released again. Um, particularly in Britain. In Britain, it did a million dollars and it was re-released in Britain in, in 1945, five years later, it made 460000 which is great. And um, it is purported that uh, it was the most popular film of 1940 in Britain. Um, That's not surprising. We do like people that drink tea and are nutcases. <laughs> so. And murder people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, would have gone down the storm ticks all the boxes there <laughs> right <laughs> uh, so it was released in April 12th of 1940 um, and it received 11 nominations at the 13th Academy Awards um, and that was more than any other film that year it only won two awards uh, best picture and best cinematography uh, which I think is warranted. Yeah, uh, it's honestly. gorgeous, isn't it? Gorgeous looking yeah. film. Yeah, and I think there was some neat, like little um, Hitchcock uh, special effects that he does. Um, he can't seem to get away from this rear projection, normal walking around town thing, which bugs the hell out of me. But, you know, it is what it is. I guess that was just his process at the time to make things cheaper, easier. I'm not sure, but it, it just it gets on every movie we watch. I'm noticing it now. And I don't remember noticing that previously before we started this podcast, but now it's like, it's almost like when we watch a Hitchcock film, I'm looking out for this strange, you know, people about town or out in the real world with the rear projection screen, which is mostly been relegated to like car scenes. Right. But Hitchcock has this penchant for doing it when people are, walking around out in the open instead of just going and shooting on location. And um, one of these days I'm going to do my research to kind of figure that out as to what his concept or idea behind that was. But um, this movie is uh, definitely has that amazing thing in it (laughs) Um, as well as some other uh, more seamless uh, special effects, which I thought were kind of cool. Um, the film was also recently um, entered into the um, United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress uh, for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. 
which I don't disagree with. Um, and it seems like um, a lot of these older films have just now more recently been entered into the Library of Congress. What I find kind of fascinating because this film has been um, celebrated for, well, almost 100 years, you know, since it came out, really. Um, so why, do, you know, I'm, I'm curious as to why it takes so long for something to, you know, be, uh, you know, celebrated in that way um, to be added to the Library of Congress, which, you know, is I believe when they do that, they're preserving the film um, and they have like a sort of preservation like um, vault uh, where, you know, a copy of the film is kept and actually physically preserved, uh, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and oh I my God, I've just got right. visions of you like breaking into the vault and burning <laughs> everything that you feel shouldn't be in there. <sighs> Titanic, <sighs> set fire to that fucker. Well, actually, that's not in there and will never be in there. Never. <laughs> I'm going to campaign to get it in there just to get on your wick. No, wait a second. Now, if you're going to want to preserve Titanic 2, yes. I'd, I'd be all for that because that's absurdity. <laughs> yes. Let's see now, how ridiculous I can be. Yes. Right? Now, now, James Cameron's Titanic, it's like I just have the plain and simple, you know, grievance with that film. It's not that I think it's a bad film per se. I mean, come on. It's got Billy Zane in it. Who doesn't love Billy Zane? Um, I know everybody's like, you're crazy. It's Leonardo DiCaprio. And who are the, I can't remember the girl's name. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'm a Billy Zane fan because I love the film Critters. <laughs> Uh, Let's anyway. put critters in there then. There you go. We could do that. There we go. I'll do that. Yeah. Critters one through four. Let's not talk about the, uh, you know, critters attack or the TV show and all that kind of crap because we don't want to. We don't want to go there. That's that. That's borderlining the uh, Titanic two scenario. So there's only room in that vault for one crazy misguided film preservation, and that's going to be Titanic two. But Thank God, they don't let people like me and you vote on this stuff. Oh, no. People, you know, in the future, 100 years from now, people would have a very strange sense of what the film industry was like if they watched like our picks. <laughs> I mean, I think it would be more accurate. Well, maybe, you know, and I always had this weird sort of like, I don't know what you'd call it, daydream, maybe, or just weird. Maybe it's a brewing plot in my head. I'm not really certain. But as to where... Maybe there's a apocalyptic event or something and the world's demolished and like things like film and books and music are sort of like, uh, you know, a vague sort of footnote in history that nobody really knows about or remembers because the past is, you know, from when destruction happened on Earth has been so long ago that that's sort of been lost. And then at some point, somebody digs up like a cache of films and the surviving people on earth take these films as if they were uh historical events and, oh my and, god that would be amazing right like could you imagine like somebody digs up like terminator and like holy crap that's what happened to us this <laughs> you know, is how it ended <laughs> right you know or or whatever and then they be. find like a phone and then they're petrified like ah kill it kill it with fire it's a phone <laughs> right yeah i can see that like t I, there's some like I've, I've had that like sort of like concept floating around my brain for like the past 10 15 years of this thing and i'm sure there's something out in the world that's already been made like that but you know, sort of like a a time capsule that 
people of the future take as being uh, like history, like a history book, you know, because the history has been lost to, to time and, and they're, I don't know what they would do with it or how they would react to it or <laughs> whatever, but uh, yeah. So. Oh, there could be statues of Shane Van Dyke for saving yes. the people on the Titanic. There, there could be. <laughs> well, really just the woman on the Titanic, to be honest. Um, but I think that's a bloody good shout. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, um, so this film, Rebecca, <laughs> we always go off on tangents. Sorry, folks. So it's this pretty film, much Re- me. <laughs> <laughs> this film, Rebecca, I thought was interesting because it, it, it plays out. I mean, for the most part, through most of the movie, just as a love story with some weird, quirky character situations, you know, obviously this young woman falls very head over heels for this, you know, debonair, um, rich man. Right. Um, and he sweeps her off her feet in a very monotone, disaffected manner. <laughs> like Almost like, why would she be charmed by this guy? He, he acts like he does not really care about anything too much. <laughs> um, and you know, he takes her from her job. She pisses off her previous employer. They go get married um, unceremoniously. Uh, even forget their marriage certificate. <laughs> it and wasn't very organized, really, was he? No, it was. It's not. You know, I think it's. I think it's interesting because I've got a feeling Hitchcock did all that thing to show like how un. Excited, inexcited, unexcited, de-excited. What's the price? <laughs> Not impressed. <laughs> Unimpressed. <yeah. laughs> um, you know that he is about getting married. Like I'm, I'm confused why he's even doing it. Like, cause he just feels completely unconcerned about it. Like I, he doesn't sound seem like he has a good time at all in this movie. Like it's it's just odd to me. Um, but then you think about like, well, okay, so you find out he's lost his wife, this sort of uh, MacGuffin of, you know, Hitchcock's, um, which is Rebecca, uh, which is interesting because the name of the film and the book um, is a character that's My not even name in the movie. Well. Right, right. So obviously you were excited to watch this film, this movie. But uh, uh, don't yeah. my, my mom always used to make me watch it. So this is not Oh, new. it's not your first time. I got you. Okay. Um, so I, I felt like I, I was waiting for something major to happen. Like he's going to kill her or like, there's going to be some sort of like mid twist kind of thing, but it never really happened. Like, it, and it just, it played out pretty straight. Um, and I kind of, I enjoyed that in a way, but at the same time, I, I kind of got a little bored. Um, which I'm sad to say because I know how everybody really, really loves this film. But no, I, I was going to say I feel like it was a little bit long. Yeah, and you know the thing is, like, I don't really want to jump ahead, but I'm gonna. I'll say this: like, a lot of film noirs that we've watched end about 15 to 20 minutes sooner than this film. And I'm not talking time wise; I'm talking about plot wise. Like, there's a certain point in this movie where the end of the film would have been any other noir. Um, and then they continue going on and, um, it's almost like, uh, 
was a Lord of the Rings, <laughs> the third movie, where it was like five endings. Um, it kind of felt like that, which I it was okay. I didn't have a problem with it, but it did seem like there could have been other things that definitely could have been cut throughout the film to shorten the time frame that wouldn't have hurt it at all. Um, and I know some people will probably call that blasphemy or whatever because it's such a celebrated film. Um, I think right now it's even got like a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is, you know, this might have been. I can't remember what film it is, but there is a film that knocked Citizen Kane out of the hundred percent mark. But um, uh, you know, this is one of the few films on Rotten Tomatoes that's a hundred percent. And I don't personally buy into Rotten Tomatoes. I think there's a lot of. I'm not trying to knock newer, younger moviegoers. But there's a lot of fantastic classic films that get rated very poorly by younger, newer filmmakers or film you know, watchers, um, which I think is pretty sad. And yeah, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm getting old. Um, I don't know, but uh, that's those bloody cheeky whippersnappers. Yeah, you know, and I, again, like maybe it's just I'm getting older and times are changing or whatever it is. But I mean, some of these movies are like well over a hundred years old, so it's like. I feel like that can't really be the case. I feel like they must just have bad taste, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know, whatever. Maybe I'm just screaming at the clouds and telling them to get off. Maybe it's more, I think we've said before, maybe it's just a lack of appreciation for what was available in you comparison. Know, it, it could be because it's like, I feel like when I try to show something older to my kids, even like something that's not even that old, you know, like from the mid nineties or eighties or something like that. Uh, like even my daughter came to me the other day and she wanted to watch a Batman movie. Uh, one with the Joker in it. Like she didn't care which one she just wanted to watch one. And I go, Oh, did you know, like one of the first, like, you know, uh, more recent, like classic Batman movies was directed by Tim Burton. And she's a huge Tim Burton fan. Um, so she was pretty excited. She's like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Okay. So we ended up watching that one, right? And, uh, you know, right off the bat, she's like, oh, how old is this? <laughs> right? And I'm like, oh, I mean, it's 89. It's not that old. She's like, you can tell by the filming. This is this is old. And I'm like, I'm like, shut up. <laughs> Be quiet, yeah. little girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw we, someone we had new the at the same theater. thing with Pirates of the Caribbean. Hmm. And Lily was like, oh, Johnny Depp looks so young. Because she's a big Johnny Depp fan. She's like, Johnny Depp looks so young. That is not Johnny Depp young. (laughs) Right? If you want to see Johnny Depp young, we will get Pluto TV on right now and we will watch 21 Jump Street. And she's going, oh, I can't watch that. It was in the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) I've never never wanted to kill someone (laughs) as much as I did in that moment. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I'm not, I, 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 there's some movies he's been in that I like, but I'm not a huge Johnny Depp fan. I think the dude's just weird. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's the drugs or just, I, I kind of like weird is. though. So, you know, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just, whatever, I guess, uh, he's strange to me. Uh, yeah. but, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is not older. I think we can all agree on that. No, I would not call it. What did it come out in like 2007 or 2008 or something like that? Yeah. Can't remember. But um, yeah, no, I wouldn't consider it. Although the dude aged pretty well, honestly. He's like, oh, was 60? Like pretty close to 60? So, virgin on it. 
So, I mean, he, he definitely aged well. He's a lucky son of a bitch. Like there's interviews I've seen of him where he was like in his mid to late forties, man. He looks like he did when he was, you know, in 21 Jump Street, which is fucking impressive. But, um, well, we wouldn't you know. know because Lily wouldn't let us put it on. So, <laughs> right. but, uh, yeah, so I don't know what it is, but you know, again, just yelling at the clouds. Um, so, yeah, so I think I went through most of this film just viewing it kind of as a love story, other than the great cinematography. The acting is pretty solid, although I'm not a huge, um, uh, what's his name? Oliver, Lawrence Oliver. Like, I, I Lawrence I Olivier. love him. Olivier, is that how you pronounce it? Whatever. He's fabulous, so don't start bashing him. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of him. Oh, so, gosh. Olivier. Olivier. Fabulous bit of facial hair going on. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> I want you to do like a piece of artwork since you're, you know, an artist where you, uh, you paint or draw all your favorite men with facial hair. I will. I will but call it the mustache. The mustache. Brigade? Magnificence. No, no, I'll come up with a new name. <laughs> the Mustache Appreciation Society. Okay. No, that's probably taken. Yeah, probably taken. <laughs> sure it is. Yeah, I, I think uh, Magnum PI uh, coined that one already. Yeah. He's got, he's got a museum of all of his facial hair throughout the years. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, working title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know. Like, did you feel, and you've obviously seen this movie several times. I This is my first watching of it. Um, how did you feel that like how did you feel about it like as far as that goes um i've always it's always been one of them films that's been on and we've always been doing stuff in between so like if my mum was watching it we'd be watching it for a bit and then we'd go and clean or she'd do tea or do dinner or and then we'd go back to it Mm -hmm. so i'd always watched it with bits missing this was the first time that i watched it in its entirety and I fully realized what a long film it is. Okay. Cause I did, I did really like the, I did really like uh, the beginning bit of it where they're kind of finding the feet, but mainly because of uh, her. She's fantastic. I really, really liked watching her, but I do think that for my personal taste, I, some of that could have been shortened mm-hmm. to get to more of the, when she's actually in, the house with the creepy housekeeper and things get a little bit more sinister because it didn't really yeah didn't i feel really like shock i feel like the last movie that we watched where they had that sort of like super and i think it was actually maybe it's hitchcock movie um oh, what the heck was it is it dial in for murder no, dial in for, no not dial in for murder um it's the one where uh her father dies and the cia or whoever recruits her to go overseas oh, notorious notorious right, right right where we felt like the beginning was so sped up and like their whole love thing like was super compressed and it wasn't spread out. i feel like that this movie kind of rectified that sort of same sort of scenario mm. um you know so i didn't i personally didn't really mind the beginning like if it was me i would have probably maybe taken out one of those scenes or so and but i think there's a lot in the middle that like just could have been taken out um 
just wasn't really that necessary, I guess. But, you know, not that there was any of those scenes that were bad or didn't work or anything. It was just for sake of time. It was just a little long because there wasn't a lot really happening. There wasn't a lot that was like, you know, there's a mystery going on here other than her sort of slowly figuring out what Rebecca is and what she means to certain people and, you know, that sort of thing. But it just, yeah, I don't know. It just, it slowed it down quite a bit. Um, but it, that could also be because Selznick, he was, he was that sort of producer and he's the one that edited it. And, um, you know, one thing I was going to bring up is that Hitchcock specifically with this film was worried about that. So he actually edited the film in camera. So he only shot absolutely what he wanted to allow Selznick to see. Um, so, so there was no fluff that Hitchcock was, was shooting or anything like that. So, um, it's probably the closest that we will get to Hitchcock's vision, considering that Selznick still forced him to go and do reshoots and forced him to do ADR and, and different things. Um, but you know, it's always interesting to me, like somebody like Hitchcock or even um, Wells, when they do that sort of thing to try to circumvent the overstepping of producers. Um, you know, sort of let their vision come through. But it also makes you wonder, well, whose vision is it really? Is it Selznick? Because he ultimately edited the film and had new scenes shot and reshot and that sort of thing. So is this celebration of this film really Hitchcock's or is it really Selznick's? Is it a combination? You know? Um, and and we see the same thing with, uh, with Wells films too. Um, you know, after Citizen Kane, he pretty much, he lost all that power that he had, that he was given. <laughs> um, so I don't know. It's, uh, it's always an interesting sort of uh, thing to think about when you're watching these films and you learn the history. And that's kind of like what I like doing um, or, or like about our podcast is we kind of can delve into those uh, backstories. It's not necessarily just about the film or being like a noir expert or any of that kind of stuff. It's like, Hopefully our listeners are kind of learning along with us, you know, about some of these things. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess the length is an issue to me, but also I think that the, the plotting, it might be associated with the length as well as a little stretched out. Um, I didn't feel like enough, like excitement was really happening. Um, it's, it really plays more like a, a very, mysterious film like it's about mystery unraveling but there's not a whole lot of unraveling i guess is my complaint until like the last half hour of the film where everything sort of like you know falls like dominoes um which is about the time that they find the boat right mm-hmm. um after that happens that's when everything's sort of like if that had happened a half hour earlier then i you know it's probably be a damn good movie to me um but uh, that's sort of like where I'm, I'm, I'm laying with the storyline, the plotting and the pacing and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, um, besides all that nonsense of hearing me bitch and complain, uh, tell me that you caught Hitchcock's cameo in this. 
No, I'm so bad at this. You are. This is like zero. I'm so bad. Zero for five or something like that now? Yep. Mm. I always see his name. Does that count? No, doesn't count. Uh, okay. <laughs> can, can we play that game? <laughs> I think I might win that. <laughs> you probably would. <laughs> uh, so at the end of the, towards the end of the movie, he's walking with his back to the audience. So this one might be a little more understandable if you missed it because he, you don't know, see the front of him really, but he's walking, uh, uh, outside of the phone box, um, just after, uh, uh, what's his name? Jack, um, uh, makes a call. Um, and that's, that's it. That's all it is. Yeah. So it's but a little that's less. not easy to find. Well, I mean, it kind of is if you know Hitchcock, which apparently you don't. <laughs> no, but seriously, like that one, I could kind of understand a little more. There's, he's got a few sneaky ones that are a little hard to spot, but, um, I don't necessarily think this is like a super hard one to spot, but you know, you got to be kind of looking out for it too. It could happen if your eyes are focused somewhere else. So we won't, uh, reprimand you too much for never getting these. I will get one one day. <laughs> um, speaking of Selznick, uh, he insisted that this movie stay as close as possible to the book. However, uh, as I'm sure many people know that there was a, um, you know, a motion picture code back then where there's certain things you couldn't see on screen. And we talked about this, I think with Notorious, if I remember that right, where you couldn't kiss for longer than three seconds or some craziness, um, things like that. Also, and I believe actually we talked about this in a Bogart movie maybe, or I can't remember what the other film was, but there was this code back then where if in a film uh, a spouse kills their spouse, they must be caught and punished. Um, so that created a sort of rift in keeping the film um, identical to the book um, because he wasn't caught and punished in, in the film, obviously. So how they did that is they sort of changed him not actually killing her and her having or not. I mean, portraying it as like an accident, whatever, you know, like I know he's covering up the accident per se, but um, by, you know, changing that whole thing and adding the cancer stuff, all that stuff wasn't in the in the book, which I thought was pretty interesting because that's a pretty complex scenario for the death in this film and watching the movie, I would never would have thought that that would have been something that was changed, you know, cause that to me that that was pretty, that was pretty well done little plot there. I thought, yeah, like, definitely. I didn't, I didn't see it coming. I thought it was interesting. That's where the movie really like took off for me. So congrats to the adapters and the screenwriters and Hitchcock for pulling that off and making it, feel so um uh you know i'm not a, a part of the original story really is what i'm trying to get by um because it's just not something that i thought that was going to be changed uh, but it was um all because that damn pesky motion picture could um which we you know we see a lot of that in some of these movies um let's see there's uh there's another thing too but i couldn't 
I couldn't, I haven't read the book, so I don't know exactly what it's referring to per se, but there was, I mean, I I know what it's referring to, but it's definitely not necessarily in the film. Although after reading this, I totally get it. So they, so Miss Danvers, which is the maid, um, I guess in the book was her and Rebecca were like lesbian lovers. That makes um, more sense as to why she's so obsessed with her. Right. Yeah. And and when I was watching the movie, I didn't like, I, I didn't really click to me that that was the case. I just thought it was just like, you know, crazy, you know, 1940s film noir sort of over the top villain character, like in a way. Um, not that it was bad, but just like sometimes they have those sort of like James Bondish, like I'm evil just to be evil kind of thing. And that's kind of what it felt like. It felt like her um, dedication to Rebecca was just a little over the top at times. Um, but this reading, this sort of made it make much more sense. Um because she does obsess over Rebecca, or at least the idea of her, the memory of her throughout the film. Mm. And obviously the whole end of this film is like, I mean, it's sort of that scenario of like, if I can't have her, no one can. Right. But that is shown by using the mansion. Right. Mm. Like, you know, you can't, live here anymore because you're not honoring Rebecca sort of thing. Um, so it really made like, once I figured this out and found that out, it really made her character make a whole hell of a lot more sense and the end of the movie and the burning of the house and all that kind of stuff. Like it was really a, a scorned kind of lover sort of thing. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool. I guess I, I really think Hitchcock did as good of a job as possible of conveying that. Um, and I think if, if I had read the book, it would have um, really made a much bigger impact on me. Um, and I think just having that sort of censorship of that concept, not only is just ridiculous, but um, it, it, it unfortunately did hurt the film in that way to me. Um, I'm not 100%. Well, I mean, I, I, I know why, but I don't know why that would be such an issue <laughs> to show in a movie, but okay. Um, <clears throat> it's, you know, I find it ridiculous, but anyway. Um, another interesting little tidbit related to the book, and then I'll get off all this and let you talk, <laughs> is uh, apparently there is um, an author named Ed, Edwina Levin McDonald who supposedly wrote an extremely similar story in a novel called blind windows and sued Selznick and the author of Rebecca, the original book uh, for plagiarism. And I couldn't find the um, actual ruling or complaint or anything. It, it, it says that it can be found on the internet somewhere, but I guess my Google skills aren't up to par because um, I couldn't find it to figure out the details of it. Cause I would be definitely interested in, in knowing what happened with this because ultimately it was dismissed. Um, 
And I know that those sort of um, cases, I think, generally tend to favor Hollywood for some reason. Although there's been some, you know, there's been a lot of them throughout history. But um, I thought that was pretty interesting. I, I don't know why it took so long for the lawsuit to happen, though, because it didn't happen until 1944. And then, for some reason, it took another four years for it to be dismissed. Um, and that would tell me that there was probably a good amount of similarities and it took a while to like really figure it out or maybe it was just sort of dragging out. I'm not really sure, but um, I would be interested in figuring, figuring out what happened with that. But anyway, that's the extent of my, uh, you know, trip down memory lane and for the complications and weirdness of this movie, which I think, um, I think are all fascinating. You know, the motion picture code. I always and, find the backstory of what happened behind the film sometimes mm -hmm. more fascinating than the film. Yeah. And I think like I, the ins I wish, and outs. Yeah. I agree with you. And I feel like, um, you know, there's certain, there's certain movies like biopic, like movies like the, say, Mank, for instance. I don't know if you watched that, but uh, uh, David Fincher did a film on Netflix called Mank, which is about the writer of. Citizen Kane, um, which I was super excited for. It's, it's decent. It's not, it's not a bad movie or anything, but it's not exciting because I just didn't feel like there was enough story about Mank to really make it exciting as to where if you watch something like uh, RKO with uh, Liv Schreiber in it, um, that's much more exciting to me because there's way more interesting elements to what happened with making Citizen Kane than necessarily what happened with the writer. I'm not saying that there's nothing interesting about that, but I, it just, I feel like there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff for a lot of these older films that are starting to kind of get lost to time. And I wish that there was, maybe there's a resource out there, like a big, huge book of, you know, um, Hollywood, you know, mishaps on films. I don't know what you would call it, <laughs> but something that sort of outlines a lot of this stuff, you know, but I think that, you know, so much time has gone by. A lot of that stuff gets twisted and changed and isn't totally accurate. And all of these people have long been, you know, passed away. And, um, but what little information is out there, um, you know, it is super fascinating and hopefully it's not like sensationalized, you know, because you and I know how hard it is to make a film. That's, you know, something that we do. And it's when you hear certain things, you know, in Hollywood where it's like, you finally get to that point where you can make a movie, but then you got like a producer. It's like, nah, but I'm going to edit your movie. Ah, ha, ha. It's like, what? <laughs> what the hell? Okay. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it sort of feels like, you know, and it's heartbreaking, especially like Wells, like what, what happened with him with, what was it? I think, uh, uh, Magnificent, uh, Ambersons or something. I, I can't remember which, which film it was. Sorry. My memories. Uh, not what it used to be. I'm, I'm old, remember? <laughs> but, uh, you know, and he writes this like 50 page letter to the studio pleading with them to recut the film and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, I mean, a filmmaker puts so much time and effort and a large chunk of their life into telling a story to have it sort of, I mean, not to be overly dramatic, but ripped away from you. <laughs> it's like, from my perspective, it's heartbreaking, but 
Um, yeah, I can't imagine being somebody like Hitchcock or Wells and having that. And, and those are big names. Can you imagine what a no name director has to go through? That's like, I mean, that's why people don't survive <laughs> in this, in this, uh, you know, field, but yeah. Um, were you as shocked as I was at the end of the film? Like I, I didn't see the, the house fire coming from a mile away. Like, like our lead character. Did. No, I, I didn't to be fair at all. Yeah. I, you know, it, I, I was, like, and I was a little bit shocked that, um, I mean, his character was nice. So I suppose it didn't shock me that she did all of that. But at the same time it did, because I was kind of expecting like the film noir rule of like, oh, he must have done it and he's going to get caught. Yeah, you know, I I did too. Um, they had a happy ending, even though the house burned down. They still kind right. of had a happy ending because they were both alive. Yeah, and, and I honestly thought that I didn't like the house burning like shocked me. I was like, oh, whoa, that poor house. Right. And, you know, it's a fictional house in the film. But um, I mean, that's that would be huge like i mean there's bazillions of dollars of stuff in there and the house itself and the grounds and everything um but i really thought that when when they cut to uh you know the maid uh what's her name danvers or whatever it was um looking at her sleeping with the dog in her lap i was i was for sure when we arrive at the house that she's going to be dead dead yeah right because i'm thinking like whoa that's perfect because he's already got a dead wife who now he's been accused of murdering um and now he's got a second wife that's been dead <laughs> and that could have been Toast. a great yeah that could have been a crazy ending if she had set him up <laughs> right so it was a total shock to me that the house was on fire and all that and i was like oh my god now she's burned in the house she burned her alive and then she walks up with the dog and I'm like, Oh, Oh wait, she's alive. Oh, Oh wait. Okay. They get to be together. Oh. And then the roof collapse. Who had time on. to put the dog on a lead during a fire? Yeah. Right. And then Miss Danvers gets the roof collapsed on top of her. And I'm like, Oh wow, this is crazy. So the bad guy loses this kind of thing in this movie. Like it was, it was really, it's typical Hollywood these days. But watching all these noirs with you, it's I've become accustomed to seeing that sort of like unhappy ending, like you were talking, you know, like, and so it was honestly, I've never been more surprised about a, a happy ending. <laughs> like, and, and I was fine with it, you know? Um, so that was, that was super surprising to me. No, I agree. I was completely like, what? No, there must be some more. Oh, okay. Yeah, in, in a movie where it doesn't need more. <laughs> it's like it's got such a real long running time. You're like, yeah, something else has got to happen. But, you know, please don't. <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, is this a part where I went and had some tea with my mom? I'm confused. Is this, is this more? <laughs> <laughs> right. I also read that uh, Selznick wanted or, or tried to get Hitchcock to shoot the... Um, the last scene of the movie as it is right now, the camera pushes in onto the... Uh, monogrammed like uh, I don't know bed sheet or pillowcase or something on the bed with the R on it right um, 
And Selznick, I guess, wanted the smoke. <laughs> I thought this was super silly, but he wanted the smoke from the burning house to form an R, I guess, up in the sky. <laughs> I mean, in what plane of reality would that happen? I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it was super silly. And obviously Hitchcock made the right choice. You know, it was it was very much the rosebud of the movie, right? I mean, we know who Rebecca is and everything, but we never get to see her. We never, except for the painting, which, you know, that was honestly, I think the only part of the film that I really guessed um, was the whole masquerade ball and her and the maid getting her to, you know, suggesting that portrait as her costume. Uh, that was, I was like, oh man, that made a set in her house. This is fucked. She's going to be like hated and everybody's going to be mad. And that's exactly what happened sort of. But, um, that was the only part that I really guessed in this movie. Everything else was pretty, um, pretty solid as far as plotting goes. Like I didn't, I didn't figure it out. I didn't guess it really. Yeah. See, I didn't even guess that bit. Really? Yeah. She must have done it for a reason, like a nice reason. Yeah, but no, no. <laughs> like nope. to me, it was nah. like she's she's being mean. <laughs> yep. Oh, yep. Yeah, and I remember saying it like when me and Shani were watching. I was like, "Oh, that's fucked up," because <laughs> I knew it was gonna happen. Um, so that was I was I was pleasantly surprised and happy that um, that was the only part of the movie that I really guessed, and it didn't detract from it because that's such a sinister thing to do i mean it's not like she killed somebody or like did something really bad or like legally bad but like on a moral sort of like personal level that's just fucked up (laughs) she had far too much time on her hands oh yeah 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 and and it was weird too because she's like to the movies like i was really hoping or waiting for you to ask me to show you the room and like really (laughs) just so you can like rub it in and you know, I don't know. <laughs> it was a great character. She really was a great. And she was crazy. It was she was like Perry Mason when she was like proper going at her like a lawyer. You want to see the room, don't you? I know, <laughs> I know. You want to see this? You thought this, didn't you? I thought, fucking calm down. Right? Yeah. Oh, you, Are you moved trying to her get right. her to confess to the murder or something right there and then? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's pretty good. All right, Carly, you got anything else for you? Uh, rate this film. Nope. Okay. Pretty simple. All right. <clears throat> All right. Well, um, I believe I went last time. So um, uh, not that I'm keeping score. I'm keeping score. Um, but your turn to go. <laughs> Be careful. That'll end up in the end song. Well, <laughs> well, I will. <laughs> I'm going to give it an eight. Oh, really? I, th- I really thought you were going to end up giving it a nine or a ten. Uh, I was. I was hovering between eight and nine. And yeah. why? Well, it was it was purely because I did dip in and out of a little bit of a portion of it because mm-hmm. of the length, mm-hmm. and because there were some bits that didn't grip me as much probably as I was expecting to. Okay, I think that's the issue. I I was expecting there to be more sort of like suspense moments. Mm-hmm. So when I didn't really have them, I was waning a little bit. Yeah. I can respect that. I understand. All right. Well, um, I, I'm going to give it an eight also. And it's because I can recognize the quality of the film. I think the filming is great. I think the acting is great. Um, with my issues with 
Oliver. Hey, <laughs> <Yeah>, calm down. <laughs> um, it's not that he's bad in this film. I, I've just, I've never really cared for him. Um, uh, you know, and in the same way. His character is a little on the boring side, isn't he? You know, I, I guess it can, it can appear that way. It's like, I get his character. I get it. He, he is, uh, you know, sad or distraught over his wife dying, even though he feels like he has a hand in it and everything else that's happened. I, like I get that. And we don't get that at the beginning. We don't know everything that's happened. We just think his wife has died and he's trying to bounce back kind of thing. So it's like, I understand it, but it was like, I don't understand why she would be so enthralled with him when he acts so nonchalant and uncaring really. So that kind of like bothers me when they portray women that way. Cause I, I, I don't, I don't know, I guess, I, I don't know if it's me being sexist or whatever it is, but I just would hope women aren't that shallow. I get, I know a lot of guys are, but like, it's just all, is it really all just about the good look? She's that like crazy in love with this dude that quickly when he like really doesn't seem to give her time of day. Most of the time it's just sort of like, okay, let's go for a drive. Okay. Let's eat dinner. And then like ignore you. <laughs> like It's just odd, you know? Um, so that kind of bothered me a little bit, but, and then again, like you, it's really the length. I, I feel like there's stuff that just could be, you know, cut just for time's sake. Not that any of the scenes necessarily are bad. Like I think everything in the movie is well done. Um, and I wouldn't cut it for the sake of it being like, oh, that's a terrible scene that doesn't need to be in there. That ruins the movie. It creates, you know, any of those sort of like issues like weren't present other than it just cut it for time. It was, it was just a little too long without the mystery being quite as involved. Like if it was going to be that long, I feel like there needed to be more uh, discoveries within the mystery. There needed to be more, um, clues and, you know, there just needed to be something a little more complicated that wasn't just fully dropped on you in the last half hour. Um, because that's, again, like I said earlier, that's where it really picked up for me. And I was like, oh, this is really, you know, this is a really good story. It's just a little too long in the middle, um, which is pretty typical with a lot of films. You know, it's always that middle section of the film that's the hardest to really accomplish. Um, but it had a really good ending to me. I thought it was great. I, it definitely went past the normal mark of a, a regular noir film. Um, we got to see a little bit more, more explanation, more reasoning, more, you know, are these people going to side with them or not side with them kind of thing, all of these things. And also, you know, it, it turned the genre on its head with the happy ending. Um, assuming you consider the movie a, a noir. Um, which I do. I still consider it a noir. Um, but uh, it definitely turned it on its head and I, I enjoyed that as well. So that to me warrant, definitely warrants an eight. I think it's a good film. I understand why people love the movie. I understand why it's celebrated and it won Academy Awards and all that kind of stuff. Um, but for me personally, it was just, yeah, like you said, just a little bit too long um, to hold your interest without more going on in the middle. Um so eight gens out of 10 for me as well. It's always amazing when Carly and I agree. My God, it's like the apocalypse is starting. <laughs> we just got to go out and look for that time capsule of uh, what, what the history was like. Yep. 
to figure out what this world's about. <laughs> My gosh, all them superheroes flying around and nothing got solved. <laughs> right. You know, we should make a, a Walking Dead version film noir, right? With like Bogart and, you know, McCall, like having to hold themselves up in a house because there's a Walking Dead out there, but then like a murder mystery happens inside the house. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and they're on a time limit because one's going to become a zombie. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. People are going to hate me. <clears throat> I think that would be fun though. All right. Well, uh, Carly, thanks for joining me again. It was fun as always. Um, I think this was a cool movie. I think the people at home are going to enjoy this. They've probably already seen it. Um, but who knows? Maybe they'll enjoy their love and murder drink mm-hmm. when they uh, rewatch this classic film. Um, and uh, folks, uh, I wouldn't say stick around because we're not going to be here if you do stick around. We're just going to end the podcast, but join us for the next episode whenever that might be. Until next time. Bye-bye. He's looking at you, kid. Thanks for joining us this week on the Speakeasy Noircast. Make sure to visit our website, resurrectionfilms.net, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcast apps so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, The Dark Side of Acting Up and The Dark Side of Acting Up Volume 2, now available on Amazon. Or you can check out one of our films, also available on Amazon Prime. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Speakeasy Noircast.